If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Galatians chapter, where are we at? Galatians chapter 2. Were you guys here last week? Galatians chapter 2. Hey, bonus, extra barbecue for the one who tells us what verse we ended at. (laughs) There we go, yeah. Verse 11 is where we're at this morning. There's room up front right here or in the penalty box over to the right. I'm all, since I said that, no one wants to sit over there. Good morning. Galatians 2, if you need a Bible, raise your hand, we'll get one to you. Galatians chapter 2, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand, we'll get one to you so you can follow along this morning. Raise that hand real high. Don't want anyone to miss out. Galatians 2 this morning. Everybody there? Galatians 2, we there? Getting there. Lord, we thank you so much for this special time that you've given us to be together. We, we trust that the songs have blessed your heart and the things we've communicated already, the reminders of who you are, your great love for us, your faithfulness, for the beauty of your word, the promises that are every one of them, yes and amen, for your children. And so... As we open your word this morning, would you speak to our hearts, meet us in a special way, and transform our lives, change us, Lord, as only you can, by the power of your spirit, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So I just want to give us a quick reminder of, of where we are in this letter. Remember, the Apostle Paul is the one who planted these churches in the region of Galatia, which is modern day Turkey. And where the, where the letter began, it, it wasn't just written to one church, it was written to a group of churches in that region, and it was meant to be circulated. It was a circular letter, and there was an issue that was going on within the church, and there were some in the early church um, when this letter was written that believed that they believed that the only way for a Gentile or a non-Jew that they could be saved was to put themselves under the law of Moses, to get circumcised to follow all the rules of Moses. Is that true? That's false, isn't it? That is a false teaching. In fact, the only way that we can be saved is by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Are you with me on that? It is by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Right? It's a free gift that we receive. And it's available to anyone, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever believes in him shall what? Shall never perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life. And so remember last week we looked at Acts chapter 15 in conjunction or a connection with chapter 2 here, and they had a council. Remember that council? Where was it at? What city? In Jerusalem right? They had this council, and the conclusion they came to was that a Gentile does not need to become a Jew in order to be saved. They simply put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. All of us come the same way into the kingdom by trusting in Jesus Christ. And so after Acts chapter 15 is where we are this morning. That, that, that session that happened, that council that happened, Sometime after that meeting is where we begin this, uh, this little portion of Scripture. And it's interesting, this morning, um, there's some confrontation. 
If you know this chapter, if you've read ahead, you, do you guys like confrontation? I, I can't stand confrontation. But we see a serious con- confrontation with two heavyweights of the early church, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. And it, it, is, it is the right way to do confrontation um, with the issue that happened. And so let's check it out, this conflict that was done right. So we pick up in verse 11. Here's what God's word says. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. Why? Because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself. And here's why. Look what it says. Fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. Notice this. So that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. And so check this out, you guys. So Paul tells us about this confrontation he has with Peter. Before we get into how he addressed this or how he dealt with this, let's let's break it down. Let's look at verse 11 real quick. It says, when Peter had come. Remember, Peter was one of the original 12 disciples, correct? He was, we learned last week, that the emphasis of his ministry, he was an apostle to the, Jew, to the Jewish people. That was his emphasis, his main calling. But we also know that God used Peter also to open the door of the kingdom to the Gentiles when he went in Acts chapter 10 to the house of Cornelius. You guys remember that? He went to the house of Cornelius he began to share with, with all these Gentile, all these non-Jewish uh, people there. The Holy Spirit fell. Everyone gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And so Peter didn't make them get circumcised. He didn't make them keep the law. The church was in, in Jerusalem was all in agreement. Everybody comes by grace through faith. Again, not becoming a Jew first. It was confirmed in Acts chapter 15, also at the council. So Peter's a heavy hitter, isn't he? God used him mightily. Did God use Peter mightily? Yes. Pentecost Pete, right? He, I mean, think about the amazing things that God did in and through his life. When God uses people mightily, do they ever make mistakes? Or do they just kind of float on the air and glow? They make mistakes, don't they? We all make mistakes, correct? And so Peter came, where did Peter come to? He came to Antioch. How many Antiochs are there? There's two, right? This is Antioch of Syria. So Peter has left his home church in Jerusalem. He's traveled northbound to Syria. If you have a Bible map, you can check it out later. He cruised up to Antioch of Syria, and there was a vibrant, radical church in Antioch. There were both believers from Jewish background, Gentile background. Together, there was no wall of separation between the believers Everyone enjoying walking with Jesus, worshiping, fellowshipping together. They were a missions-minded church, by the way, which we are too, which is, which is God's heart, is it not, to reach the world? It was, a, it was a church that preached the gospel, that made disciples. Paul was a pastor there. Barnabas was a pastor there also. So here's this amazing work of God's Spirit happening in this church. It is thriving. It's abounding in the things that truly matter. They're they're storing up their treasures in heaven. They're invested in God's kingdom. And it says here, notice, Paul withstood Peter. That word withstood means to take a stand against completely or to strongly oppose. How strongly did he oppose Peter? Look what it says. He got in his face. And like church history tells us, and this is, this is not confirmed by the scriptures, but church history says that Peter was a big, burly fisherman. I mean, strong and muscular. It, it kind of alludes to that in um, John chapter 20, I think it was, when he carried the, he pulled the net of fish in. And then in Church history tells us that Peter was a little, or Paul was a little dude. Can you imagine that? Paul, here comes little Paul, right? Lumpy with all the bumps on his head from getting stumped, beaten and stoned. And, and he just gets in Paul's face here. 
That's heavy, isn't it? And this is, by the way, this is in front of the entire church is what's happening. And we're told why. Look what it says at the end of verse 11. We're told why. Because he was to be what? He was to be blamed. And that word means guilty to the point of condemnation. He was condemned in this. Not condemned to hell, but just guilty as charged for the actions, for his behaviors, for what he was doing. Well, why did Paul do this? Let's look what it says, verse 12. We're told, we're given some insight now. Verse 12 says, um, before certain men came from James. And so there was this crew of guys. They were believers from a Jewish background. They were sent by, who's it say there? What's his name? James, who was a leader in the early church, right, in Jerusalem. We'll just call him the James gang. How about that? Before the James gang came... Peter would do what? What does it say? He would eat with who? The Gentiles. Peter would have fellowship with the Gentiles. They would all be eating, having a great time together. Can I I paint the scene here? Can I paint the picture for us this morning? So imagine the pastor gets up and says, okay, everybody get out your e-bulletins on your phone. Everybody got e-bulletins here? We don't use the paper ones anymore. Maybe we will again. So Guess who's coming into town next Sunday? The Apostle Peter. What? Peter's coming here? He's coming to our church? Oh, man, I can't wait to talk to that dude. I can't wait to fellowship with him. I can't wait to hear the stories. And then who shows up the next Sunday? Peter's there. Maybe he had a chance to share from the pulpit to teach. And then afterwards, they had a potluck, because that's what they would do in those days, like we're doing today. It's biblical. They have a potluck, and communion would be attached to the potluck. They would take, they would, um, take the Lord's Supper together also. So picture the scene. After the service, what are they doing? All the tables are together, and Peter's right there, and he's eating carnitas and chicharrones, <laughs> pigs in a blanket, crawfish etouffee. This is going to re- resonate with someone here this morning. Bacon double cheeseburgers. He's having it all. He's just oinking out with the rest of the church. No problem. Kosher diet, smosher diet. (laughs) And by the way, you guys know, you guys know your Bibles. Sharing a meal together in that culture communicates that you're uniting life together with them. Remember when Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens up the door, right, I will come in and what? Dine with him and him with me. We're going to connect life together. That's why when we take communion together, we're reminded of the connection that we have with the Lord and with one another. We're united together in a special way. As one, just as Jesus prayed in John 17, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. That's what fellowship is. So he's there fellowshipping. And by the way, Jewish tradition, um, according to Jewish tradition, it was unlawful. It was unlawful for Jews to eat with Gentiles. Why? They were considered unclean. Are you with me? The Jews thought the only reason that Gentiles were created was to fuel the fires of hell. That was the the bias that they had against them. So they would separate themselves from the Gentiles. And that's why it was such a big deal, Acts chapter uh, 10. That's why it was such a big deal when Peter went into the house of Cornelius and spent time with them and ministered to them. It was a huge deal. And Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians that the wall of separation between Jew and Gentile is gone. There is no wall. There's no barriers, you guys. In fact, look, if you flip forward with me just for a second, in Galatians 3, look at verse 26. This is like crucial to understand this this morning. It says, for you are all sons of God, how? Through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one 
in Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? We're all, no matter what your background or whatever, you know, your, 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 your bloodline, listen, or whatever job, doesn't matter. We're all one in Christ Jesus as a family. And so Paul wrote about that. The wall of separation is down. And Peter is walking in that. He's there eating, hanging out with everybody. And so who's the cast of characters? You've got Paul. You've got Peter. You've got Barnabas also. You've got the Jewish, the believers from a Jewish background, the, the believers from the Gentile background. You've got the James gang. You've got to picture the scene here. And notice what happens with me in the next part of the verse. But when they came, who's they? The James gang. They were from Peter's home church in Jerusalem. Christians with a Jewish background. What did Peter do when they came? Look what it says. What did, they, what did he do? He withdrew. By the way, that word withdraw, it means to, to shrink from and to shun. Isn't that powerful? He shrunk away from them and began to shun them. And not just that, look what it says. It says something else. And what else? He separated himself. Aphorizo in the Greek, it's the same word in which we get Pharisee. He drew a boundary is the idea. By the way, he's acting like a Pharisee, isn't he here? Peter, he wasn't so friendly with the Gentile Christians any longer. So how did this roll out? You got to picture this with me. When the James gang came, they probably said, we need separate table over here for us. We need to be separate from everyone else in the church. And so the potluck that Sunday, you had the James gang all chilling out alone, and then you had the rest of the church on the other side. But what happened? All of a sudden, all those Jewish believers began to go with Barnabas to join the James gang. So now you have the church divided between the believers of a Jewish background and the believers of a Gentile background. Does God want his body divided this morning? He doesn't, you guys. In fact, we're told in Ephesians, I think it's chapter 4, we are to endeavor, to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It takes work. And they're rebuilding walls here between between these two people groups. And so... Why did the James gang do this? You know what they were saying? They were saying these, gen- by what they were doing, they were communicating, these Gentile Christians are not Christians at all. That's what they were saying. They haven't been circumcised. They're not keeping a kosher diet. They're not keeping the law. They're not, doing, they're not keeping the rules. They're not keeping the traditions. They're not doing any of that. We cannot eat with them. They're not even Christians. Isn't that heavy? And Peter joined them. Here's Peter. He's a heavyweight, isn't he, in the church? He's a leader. Is he an influencer? Isn't that the big word these days, influencer? Peter's an influencer. That's heavy. He joined them, it says. He becomes a different man. He's no longer connected with the other believers. Where did this behavior arise from? Or what was Peter's problem? It says it right in the text. Look at the answer, you guys. Right at the end of verse 12, what does it say? Fearing those who were of the circumcision. Peter is now driven by the fear of man. Specifically, those believers from a Jewish background. What will they think? What will they say about me? If I don't join them, what if word gets back to James in Jerusalem? What if all the people hear about what I'm doing here? They won't think I'm cool anymore. Or whatever. Apparently there was still a barrier, a wall, between Jew and Gentile in their hearts and the minds of some of the believers. Is there a wall still? Again, is there a wall between believers? This is not a trick question. Is there a wall between us anymore? It's gone, isn't it? We just read it. I wonder how those Gentile believers were feeling right about now. How do you think they were feeling? Pretty sad. You guys ever been left out? Turned on? It's hurtful, isn't it? 
maybe mad, like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going back to that church. You couldn't go to like, you know, you're at Calvary Chapel Antioch, you can't go to First or Second Baptist Antioch because there wasn't one. There was only one church. What's so awesome here is that Paul stands up for what's right, and in the end, Peter receives the correction. This is so good. And so, by the way, fear makes us do stupid stuff. Do you guys know that this morning? Fear makes us do stupid stuff. The, The Bible says the fear of man brings a snare. It's a trap. It's a trap, you guys. Peer pressure. Anybody here ever deal with peer pressure? You want to fit in, you know, you want to be cool, you want to be okay. And it's something that we all face. And listen, fear fear will make us do stupid stuff, but when we are in the spirit, when we say, Lord, I, I know the right thing to do here, I need your strength to do it. Will the Lord give you the strength to do the right thing? He will. And there's going to be some of us that you're going to have decisions coming up this week, maybe even tomorrow, where you're going to need to make a decision whether to stand in the truth and walk in the truth or to cave in to the peer pressure and fear and to blow it. Listen, if you did blow it or you have blown it, there's forgiveness with the Lord. He is the God of the second chance. And God wants to use your life in a special way. And you know, when you take a stand for what's right, it ministers to people. It ministers to people. That you got something different going on in your life. That you are living out what you say with your words. When you say you follow Jesus and you're walking in that and you're walking in the truth of his word, it is a powerful testimony to your friends, to your neighbors, co-workers, people in your class, in your school. And you know what? Even in your home also. Look at the problem, what happened, verse 13. All those believers from a Jewish background did what? They joined Peter and played, what does it say? Played the, what does your Bible say? Hypocrite. There was hypocrisy. Even, look what it says, even Barnabas. You guys remember Barnabas from last week? Barney? You guys remember Barney? What's he called? The son of encouragement. This was Paul's sidekick. This was his main man. They did ministry together. In fact, Barnabas probably led some of these guys to the Lord in the church and discipled them. He knew, he knew better. He knew, sadly, he knew that both Jew and Gentile were being saved alike by grace through faith. He knew better. And he gets caught up in the madness. In fact, it says he was carried away. He too was led off or swept away with what? With their hypocrisy in their phoniness. Listen, did they know better, by the way? Did they know better? Yes or no? It's not a trick question. They knew better, didn't they? Did they know the truth? They did. They believed one thing. They knew one thing to be true, and they acted completely different, didn't they? You guys ever do that? We can do that too, can't we? We know something to be true. We believe it's true, and then we don't do what's right. And that's the issue here. And the issue is hypocrisy. Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Leaven gets in and it begins to spread. It begins to infect and harm. It's harmful in a church. Hypocrisy, mask wearing, being phonies is dangerous. And part of it is legalism, trying to to keep your own little rules and maintain little rules and make everyone else do it as well like the Pharisees. And so hypocrisy, we see, brings division. Now you have a church divided. There's a quenching of this beautiful work of God's Spirit. What was done was unloving. What what is to mark our lives as Christians? Jesus said, you'll know my disciples by their love for... Love for who? Love for one another. Not for your diet. Not for the rules you keep, but by our love, that would be the trademark that the whole world could look in and make a call about our lives. By this, all will know, all, 
All means all, correct? In the Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, whatever. All means all, and that's all that all means. All will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another, not by division. And pride is at the center, pride is at the center of this all. We're from this background. We keep the rules. We keep kosher diet, and we're better than you because of that. And notice what happens. This is so good. You guys ready for this? Anybody ready? See what happens? Right, we're, we don't have, we're out of time. No, just kidding. You, we got to read, don't we, to see what happens. Some of you are like, what happened? That's it? This is so good. Look what happens. Paul says, but when I saw that they were not straightforward, this is so important, about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. This is so crucial, by, by the, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be, what's your Bible say? Justified. So Paul witnessed all of this. You, get, you have to picture the scene. So here's the deal. The potluck has started. The church is divided. You've got the believers of the Jewish background over here. They, they may have even had the communion table separated. That's heavy to think about. You get the Gentile believers on the other side of the room, and Paul cruises in. He's a little late for the potluck. He needed some grace, right? He pulls in, and he looks, and he sees this. He's like, what? He was right in the middle of it all, and he took a stand. Look what it says. He said, I saw that they were not straight Forward. It's interesting, that word in the Greek is orthopedeo. We get orthopedic. It means they were not walking straightly. It was crooked. Their, their behavior is crooked. What they're doing is the idea. I saw that their behavior is crooked. About what? Is this a peripheral issue, by the way? Do you know what I mean by peripheral? Like it's not, it's not the main thing, correct? Like, oh man, I can't believe they got drums and guitars in church. I can't stand the color they painted the sanctuary. Is that, you know, that divides churches sometimes, by the way. It's so, it's so dumb. You know what I'm talking about? It happens. Just peripheral issues that have no basis in the truth. The problem is, look what it says, the truth of the gospel, how a person is made right with God. This is, this is absolutely crucial. The truth, the reality of the good news of Jesus Christ, what he has done for us to supply us with a complete forgiveness of our sins and a right standing before God. And Paul knew what was at stake here. And so he said to Peter, he addresses Peter, notice before who? Publicly. Peter's actions, this is so important, Peter's actions were contradicting the truth of the gospel he sinned publicly, he compromised publicly, and Paul is dealing with it, addressing it publicly. I think personally, if it was a private issue, if it was a sin issue in, his, in Peter's life, he would have taken him aside and helped him move forward. But this is, this is, a, this is a serious, serious issue that was done publicly. And I love how Paul does this. He asks a question. Did you see that? The power of a question. Isn't that the way Jesus dealt with people sometimes? Did Jesus ask questions? Remember what he, his, one of his favorite questions? Have you never read to the Pharisees? And, did they read? Of course they did. They had the whole thing memorized. Problem was it didn't go from here into their hearts and into their actions in their lives. And so Paul asks a question. Look what it says. 
Hey, you're a Jew, Peter, you're a Jew, but you've been in the habit, literally, of living like a Gentile. And you haven't been keeping all the rules. Hey, listen, I've seen the way you live, Peter. I saw you at the Waffle House eating <laughs> pigs in a blanket, or what do they have over there? Bacon and eggs. Come on, dude. And, and now are you going to do the kosher thing? Why are you forcing or making it necessary, compelling the Gentiles to live like Jews, following the rules now? Why are you doing that? What you're communicating is what? Is that you can't be saved unless you come under the law of Moses, unless you are, are part of the kosher diet and keeping the rules and keeping the traditions. You were, you were acting like there was no separation between Jew and Gentile. But now when these guys roll into town, Peter, you're compelling the Gentiles to act like Jews. You know what that is? It's hypocrisy, isn't it? It's a, isn't it a double standard? Does God like double standards? Does God like hypocrisy? I, you know, I'm challenged this morning because um, sometimes as parents, we can have a higher standard for our kids than for ourselves. That's a double standard, gang. Sometimes we can have an expectation or put an expectation on our kids that we don't even have for ourselves. And you know what happens with our kids? They say, why should I believe what you're saying is true, but you don't even do it yourself? You come to church and talk this way and act this way, and then the six days, the rest of the six days, you do the exact opposite. That's heavy, isn't it, to consider this morning? It's a good heavy. We need it. We need to hear this about double standards. Because when we do that, we're giving our, our kids a reason not to believe. And listen, if you are a kid here and that is your parent, you can, like Paul, address it. Come to them in love. Come to them in love. Say, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? I love you. Here's what the Word of God says. If you've blown it with your kids, great time to come to them. Are you with me? You guys still with me this morning? Are you guys still with me this morning? Yes. Come to them and ask for forgiveness. The way I treated mom was wrong. Will you forgive me? You go to mom first. <laughs> and isn't that, the, isn't that the hardest thing for us to say? I was wrong. Please forgive me. Pray for me. James 5.16, when we do that, what happens? God brings healing. There's healing that we need in our hearts in, in our marriages and in our homes. But if we're not willing to humble ourselves, if we're allowing our flesh to lead, man, we're going to cause problems not only in our own lives, but in our homes as well. And so we need to humble ourselves and ask for forgiveness to say, I was wrong. Pray for me. Dad needs help. Mom needs help. <laughs> we need Jesus. We need the Lord to do a fresh work in our home. Does anyone need a fresh work in their home? Living hypocritically or with a double standard, we do great damage. And so Paul's addressing this with Peter. And notice where he goes next. Look at verse 15. Look what he says. He says, we come, hey, we who are Jews by nature, we come from a Jewish background. And then he uses this Jewish terminology. We're not of a Gentile origin. We're not sinners of the Gentiles. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but how? But by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul reminds Peter, we know this. this do you guys know this this morning? Do you guys know this this morning? This is like crucial. This is like, like nuts and bolts, doctrine, Christianity, so crucial. And, and by the way, before I keep moving forward, one of the greatest gifts we can give our kids is to live out our faith. to walk in these things that we are learning. And this is, again, nuts and bolts, Christianity 101, crucial doctrine. We know that a person, anybody, 
is not declared righteous. We cannot be made right with God by following the rules, by the works of the law, but how? By simply trusting in who? What does it say? Trusting in Jesus Christ. And it's interesting how many times he uses the word justified. What is justified? It's a big, like, Bible word. What does justified mean? That sounded right. Justified means it's just as if I'd never sinned at all. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, your, your sins, the Bible says, God says, your sins and your lawless deeds I will remember no more. Your record is gone. It's expunged. It's removed. Your sins, past, present, future, gone forever. Is that good news this morning? That's like a good time to say amen when you hear something like that. But not just that. Not only are you, are you declared not guilty, but you are also declared righteous. The very righteousness of Jesus is given to your account. It's imputed to you. It's a free gift. And listen, his righteousness, it's, it doesn't depend upon what we do or what we don't do. It's simply a free gift. Are you with me this morning? That's some more good news. I heard one amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> We know this, and notice what it says in verse 16. Paul, again, speaking to, to Peter here, at, even we have believed. He's saying, even us from a Jewish background, we've trusted in Jesus in order that, look what it says, that we might be declared righteous by our trust in Jesus, not by the works of the law. It's not by keeping rules. You cannot have a right relationship with God based upon what you do for him. The only way to have a right relationship with God is by what he's done for you and for me, and we put our trust in that work that he's done in Jesus Christ. Listen, your religious or moral efforts, your own good works, will not compensate for your sin. Our sin separates us from God. We can't do enough works to, to compensate for what we've done. We're guilty before God. And Jesus paid the penalty for our sins when he hung on the cross for you and for me. A legal transaction happened. He took our place. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Are you with me this morning? It's so crucial. And so verse 16, keeping the rules works of the law, no flesh, no means Gentile, Jew, whatever, no flesh shall be justified. Keeping rules will not make you right before God. Paul, Paul is, and remember, Paul's not just saying this to Peter. This is in front of everyone, reminding all the people in the church, this is, this is the basic nuts and bolts. You were circumcised, Peter. So was I. You lived under the Mosaic law. We both did. We know it couldn't save us. We know it couldn't make us right with God. Why are you trying to put the Gentiles under the law now? I mean, it's, he's, he's just nailing this. And then in verse 17, look what it says. Verse 17, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Does Jesus promote sin? No, certainly not. And, and I think what Paul's anticipating an objection from someone there, saying, okay, if there's no more, if we're not under the law, then we can live any way we want. We're under grace, so we're saved by grace. Now we can live any way we want. We can just whoop it up, live like hogs, die like dogs now that we're under grace, use God's grace as a doormat. No way. No way, Jose. In fact, he's going to say later in Galatians chapter 5, for you brethren have been called to liberty, to freedom. Only do not use your liberty, we've been set free by Jesus, as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. We've been set free to love, not to live for our flesh. Are you guys still with me this morning? Verse 18, we're almost done. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's awesome, isn't it? He says in verse 18, if I rebuild those things I've torn down, I'm the one who's crossing the line in disobedience. That's what transgression is. God draws a line and I cross it. I don't care what God says. By the way, that's the, that is the pinnacle of pride because you're saying I know better than God. And so Paul says, if I rebuild those things I've, I've, I've done away with, I'm making myself a transgressor. What in the world is Paul saying there? You know what he's saying? Remember Paul's life before he came to know Jesus? What was he doing? He was building a way to God. He was building his bridge to God with his works, with his efforts, his sweat. It was all based upon what Paul did, trying to work his way to God. But when Paul came to Jesus, that bridge was detonated, gone. Why? Why? Because God has built us a beautiful bridge through his son, Jesus Christ. Are you with me? It's very simple. But if I, listen, but here's the deal. If we put ourselves under the law, Paul says, then we're building our own bridge again. And if we're building our own bridge again, guess what? We're a transgressor. Our performance doesn't make us right with God. Our attempts at righteousness or trying to make us right with God or maintain righteousness, that only makes me a transgressor, one that's sinning against God. And legalism is thinking that our relationship with God is based upon what we can do for him, not based upon what he has done for us. Are you with me still this morning? This is like crucial. And then he says what? Look at the next verse. He says, for I through the law died to the law. In other words, the law was the instrument that killed me. Why? In order that, in order for me to connect with God in a real relationship. In other words, he's saying the law did its job in my life. The law, what does the law do, you guys? It shows us we're guilty, doesn't it? It just shows us our guilty. Have you guys ever broken the law? You guys ever broken the law? That's still about maybe 50% of the room. White signs on the side of the road, two words, 65. You know those signs I'm talking about? Maybe you've never noticed them before. Now you will be aware. The law does what shows us we're guilty. That's what the law does. But here's the deal with the law. It, shows, it, it deals not only with our outward actions, but our inward attitudes as well. Correct? Jesus said if you look at a woman or a dude with lust in your heart for them, you've already committed adultery with them. If you've been angry with someone, Jesus equates that to murder. In fact, Paul said, listen, I was a good, abiding by the law Jew until I read in the law, thou shall not covet. Because covetousness goes beyond outward actions. It goes right to our hearts. Are you with me? The law kills us. We can't keep the law. The law doesn't make us right before God. The law just shows me my need. We're going to learn later in Galatians. The law shows me my need for Jesus, my need for forgiveness. Listen, we are not to live for rules, but to God. Isn't that what it says? That I might live to God. True life is found not in keeping rules, but living unto God. And listen, you can only live to God once you die to the law. You can only live to God once you die to the law. That's what he's saying here. In fact, he says in the next verse, I've been crucified with Christ. The old me has been nailed to the cross with Jesus. It is no longer I who live. The old me is dead. By the way, that's what happens in a little while. In maybe 15 minutes. Don't be looking at the clock yet. Don't be looking at the clock. If you are, repent immediately. Don't look. In in about 15 minutes, we're going to cruise across the way. There's some of us getting baptized today. I get to do it. Some of you a little longer than others, right? Stay down there. No, just kidding. Don't let that scare you. We're not to walk in fear. Fear of man brings a snare, right? We just talked about that. 
But when, when you get dunked under the water, you're communicating exactly what Paul says. It is no longer I that live. I've been crucified, just like Jesus was crucified, died and was buried. The old Mike, the old Jim Bob, the old Susan, whoever's getting baptized today, the old me is dead. And when I come up out of the water, I'm living to God. I want everyone to know I'm following Jesus. I'm no longer living that old life. And I'm trusting in the one who is in me now. Who is it? Who's in us? What's it say? The life I now live, I live by faith. Well, but Christ who lives in me. Listen, no law, no rules can produce Jesus living in you. It's simply by trusting. It happens by grace through faith. My new life that I live now is simply trusting Jesus. Isn't that what it says? I live by faith in the Son of God. I, the, the life I now live, he doesn't say I'm living by the rules. But by, in a personal relationship with the one who loved me. Do you know Jesus loves you this morning? He loved you when he came as a babe at Bethlehem. He loved you as he walked the streets of Israel, the dusty roads. He loved you when he was rejected. He loved you when he was falsely accused. He loved you when his character was maligned. He loved you when they were talking rumors about him. He loved you when he was spit upon. He loved you when they put a hood over his head and beat his face. He loved you when they tore out his beard. He loved you when they, when they whipped his back and mocked him. He loved you when the nails were driven into his wrists and into his feet. He loved you as he gasped for breath, pulling himself up on the cross. He loved you when people were mocking him and cursing him. He loved you when he endured the shame. He loved you in his dying breath when he said, it is finished. He loved you when he rose again. He loved you with an everlasting love. It is unconditional love. By this we know, love, that he gave his life for us. Paul says, he loved me and gave himself for me. This is personal. And it's a relationship, listen, this morning, that is based upon the love of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. It's not a relationship based upon keeping rules. By grace, the pressure's off this morning. Do you know that this morning? The pressure's off to perform. God loves you. He's made you his very own. Your behavior doesn't make him love you less or love you more. It's, it's consistent. Because some of us can be unlovable, can't we? Sometimes. The work is done. And listen, when you are alive to God, like what Paul says here, 
Jesus living through you, it shows in your life. You're full of life. Someone that's legalist, that's trying to keep rules and make other people keep rules, they are miserable, and you know what they do? They make everyone else miserable. It's like they're baptized in lemon juice. You know what I'm talking about? With a permanent scowl and their sin-sniffing and critical and fault-finding and we're the few, the proud, the spiritual marines. Why aren't you? Whatever. And the problem is, the Bible says, the just shall live by faith. Faith in the Son of God. And Paul ends, last verse, I do not set aside the grace of God. I don't cancel God's undeserved kindness and favor. For if righteousness comes through the law, this is heavy, then Christ died in vain. Isn't that heavy? Hey, if you could earn your way to heaven, if you could make yourself righteous, then Jesus died for nothing. If you are attempting to relate to God on your own righteousness, your own efforts, your own works, you are saying what Jesus did is worthless and in vain. That's heavy, isn't it? Is that not heavy? It's his goodness, it's his grace, his love this morning that compels us, that constrains us. It keeps us tethered to the heart of God and it keeps us moving forward. Paul said it is the love of Christ that compels us. Is it the love of Christ this morning that compels you? His goodness. Has he been good to you? Has he given you grace? Has he given you mercy? Is there another batch of mercies tomorrow ready for you? Does he give you grace upon grace? He does, doesn't he? That's the very thing that will keep us moving forward. It's the very thing that keeps us from being condemned. For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Amen. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for your word this morning. I, I pray, God, that my precious brothers and sisters would take away the things that have come from your heart that we would continue to grow in grace and the knowledge of you. Thank you for your great love for us. Your amazing sacrifice, your amazing love. What else can we say this morning? But thank you so much, Lord.